Carol Burnett, the great comedian, tells the story of when she was in college and was feeling the call toward an acting career, so she decided to take an acting class her freshman year to begin this journey. For her first assignment, she performed a monologue from the play The Mad Woman of Chaillou, played playing the lead part, The Maid. She memorized the part, of course, and did her best to put her whole self into the role. And when the day finally came for the class to perform their assignment, she grew nervous as she watched her fellow classmates perform before her with great talent and presence and experience. Then it came her turn, the last of the class. She was nervous, her mouth filled with cotton balls, and, and though the stage was only six inches high, she managed to trip on it on the way up. Nevertheless, she says, I turned around and introduced my presentation, and I got it out word perfect. My homework had paid off. I, I even added a personal touch to the character, making small circles in the air with a clenched fist as if I was dusting something. I returned to my seat with my heart in my ears, thankful to God that it was over. But it wasn't over. Up stood the professor, and out from her mouth came the most negative and biting critique that she could have ever managed hearing. Vicious and demeaning. And then at the end of the critique, the professor said, I'm giving Miss Burnett a D minus because she at least memorized the piece, even though it was an F performance. When the professor dismissed the class, Carol Burnett recalled, Everyone left the room but me, and I felt as empty as that classroom. And I thought to myself, I can quit or I can stay. My choice. Well, obviously, I decided to stay because I thought to myself, I had nowhere to go but up. I had nowhere to go but up. Some of the great people of history and art and culture and religion seem to be people who at some point in their lives understood that they had nowhere to go but up. David McKellis, in his great biography of Charles Schultz, the greatest cartoonist in perhaps cartoon history, tells the tale of Schultz's early struggle in high school, he flunked Latin, English, algebra, physics. The cartoons he drew for the high school yearbook were rejected. Days before he left for World War II, his mother died of cancer. He fell in love with a redhead named Donna Johnson, but she turned down his proposal for marriage and married a, f a fireman instead. All of this failure, all of this rubble of life, however, turned out to be the very material that made the Peanuts cartoon strip such a popular strip for millions and millions and millions of people. Sometimes you have nowhere to go but up. 
at one end of the great National Mall in Washington, D.C., overlooking the great reflecting pool is the colossal figure of Abraham Lincoln seated in the chair of judgment, looking out upon the nation's capital with the great words of his Gettysburg Address and the second inaugural address etched in stone beside him. And we all know that this larger-than-life figure is appropriately sized, for he presides larger-than-life over our nation's history. But to read the life and history of Abraham Lincoln is to read a litany of failure. Lost jobs, defeated for the state house, failed in business, lost his sweetheart, suffered a nervous breakdown, defeated for Speaker of the House, lost nomination for Congress, defeated for the U.S. Senate, defeated for the vice presidential nomination, and then finally elected president in the worst moment in U.S history. Just over a month after his inauguration, cannonballs flew at Fort Sumter, and Lincoln found himself presiding over the nation's first and only civil war that in four years took the lives of over 600,000 Americans, 2% of the entire population of the United States, the equivalent today of 6 million. At every turn, it seemed, Lincoln arrived at a new low where there was nowhere to go but up. There's something remarkable about those who will not allow their lowest moments to define their future station in life. There's something remarkable about the fighter that gets up off the mat and keeps swinging. There's something remarkable when someone senses deep down that there still has to be a better day, that the sun will come up tomorrow, that there is nowhere to go but up. It's not coincidental that the three people whose stories I shared happened to be people of faith, people who believed that the hope they had for a better day came not only from within them, but more so came from beyond them, which I suppose has everything to do about today. On this Easter Sunday, so timely placed within the rising fear that you and I face with this growing pandemic threat, on Easter Sunday, we get to remember again that the ultimate reality, the ultimate story of going nowhere but up is found on this day. Jesus, unjustly tried and convicted, cruelly punished, abandoned by his friends, crucified on the cross, placed in a tomb with a stone sealing it tight. Jesus, who endured the greatest of failures in the eyes of the world and ended up in the finality of all finalities, a cold, dark tomb. It was this Jesus for whom the stone was rolled away. It was this Jesus who was raised from the dead. It was this Jesus who walked into a new life. And here's the thing, this Easter story, this is not the story of human fortitude, it's not the story of just being in the right place at the right time, it's, it's not the story of pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap, this Easter story is the story of what God is always doing, bringing about a new creation. Easter is about a God who meets us right where we are and promises to bring something new. 
Behold, I make all things new, says the good Lord at the end of Revelation. And that wasn't just some springtime declaration. It was a word that was directed to the early church that was struggling under the threat of Roman persecution, many arrested, many martyred, and the apostle echoes the words of the Almighty when he says that even now I am doing a new thing. I am making all things new. You may have nowhere to go but up, but up you will go. And most certainly that's what we see in the disciples when during and after the crucifixion they, they took to the hills, social distancing themselves from the Savior, having banked their lives on the Savior, but now he's dead and they felt as much in the tomb as was Jesus. Nowhere to go but up, but flip a few pages in the Bible, and after seeing the appearances of the resurrected Christ and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, now all of a sudden they were preaching and teaching and praying and healing and casting out demons because the God of new things had been at work in them and was making them into something new. You see, that's the great thing about Easter. Easter is that event in human history that allows us to look at wherever we are in life and wonder, and not only wonder, but believe that no matter where I am in life, God is already at work trying to bring about something new in you and in me. In Christ, Paul says, there is a new creation. The past is finished and gone, and everything becomes fresh and new. Now, I realize that that is far easier for me to say than it is for us to feel. Because one of the hardest things for us to do is to let go of the past and welcome the future. One of the hardest things to do is to realize that maybe what the present circumstances are doing, maybe what, what, what God is doing in the midst of those circumstances is creating something new and different. And it won't be what we necessarily even expect, but we will be shaped into something different. Could it be possible that this virus may be shaping us into something different? Could it be that in the midst of this virus, God's love is hard at work making something new out of us? Maybe we have nowhere to go, but up we will go. You remember the story about the two caterpillars who were sitting on a tree limb and what should flutter by but a beautiful butterfly and the one caterpillar leans over to the other caterpillar and says, I, I don't know about you, Charlie, but you'll never get me up in one of those things. <laughs> and that maybe is what you and I would feel as we contemplate this resurrection message in the midst of this difficult time, this resistance to the possibility that God might be doing something new in us, a resurrection into a new being, that God might have us thinking differently and acting differently and praying differently and speaking differently because in Christ there is this new creation. Not that creations, new creations, always feel good. You remember how C.S. Lewis described this being made into someone different. Imagine yourself, he says, imagine yourself as a living house, and God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what God is doing. He's, he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on, and, and you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that, that hurts abominably and does not 
not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? Well, the explanation is, is that he's building quite a different house than the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here and putting on an extra floor there and running up towers and making court large. You, you thought you were being made into just a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He comes to plan to live in it himself. Is it possible that the resurrected Jesus right now is seeking to expand your life so that he could build a palace in which to live? And that, of course, was what was happening to those disciples. Christ was raised, and now Christ was living in them. And that's the good news of today, that Christ is raised and seeking to live in us. It's our greatest hope. It's our greatest purpose. It's our greatest meaning in life, that Christ is alive, and he's living in us. And when Christ lives in us, he is bound to bring about something new. Nowhere to go but up. Pierre Teilhard de Chartan put it this way, not everything is immediately good to those who seek God, but everything is capable of becoming good. Not everything is immediately good to those who seek God, but everything is capable of becoming good. On Easter, when we watch a dead man walk from a dead tomb, that's when we know that everything is capable of becoming good. In the waning days of World War II, in a Gestapo prison in Schoenberg, Germany, a group of prisoners waited for what they were sure would be the day of their execution. It was the Sunday after Easter, and as they gathered there in fear and trembling, it did not look like Easter, it did not feel like Easter. But one of them, a professor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, stood forth and proclaimed that it was the Sunday after Easter, the sun, first Sunday of Eastertide. And then he read these words from 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for by his great mercy we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And after he preached, and when their little service was over, that was when the guards came and took Bonhoeffer away, off to the gallows. It was the last time those prisoners would ever see him. And his final words as he walked down the hallway were, this is the end, but for me, this is just the beginning. Nowhere to go but up. Joan Anderson tells the story of when she was young and recently married, and she and her husband and kids had just moved into their first house, and so the family was busy unpacking everything and figuring out where to put all the things into what rooms, and out the window she looked to see her father walking around the yard. And she asked to herself, what is he doing? So she called out the window and asked him what he was doing, and he replied, oh, don't you worry, you'll see soon enough. She couldn't imagine what that might be, but soon she forgot, went on to getting the house settled, and months later, her father suddenly and unexpectedly died. And along with all the grief and shock came also the fact that she might never know what her father was doing out in that yard that day. But then spring came, and with spring, 
up from the ground came all the crocuses, the crocuses from all those bulbs that our father had quietly and invisibly planted, lavender, blue, yellow, and pink, all those bulbs that had nowhere to go but up, planted by the love of the father. You know, the truth of the story is that Christianity was started in a cemetery. Christianity was started in a place where hopes and dreams go to be buried. Christianity was born in a place of the dead, deep in the rock, deep in the earth. But deep within one tomb was the firstborn of creation. Deep within one tomb was the seed of new life. Deep within one tomb was the bulb that the good Lord planted to bring about the new Garden of Eden. And don't you wonder if the resurrected Jesus might be planting right now some seed, some bulbs deep into our souls. Don't you wonder if the resurrected Christ is digging deep into our fears and worries and concerns and setting deep within us resurrection seed that with all the weeds of our worries, the resurrected Jesus is planting planting these brilliant flowers, these pink, blue, and yellow crocuses that he intends to grow up in us because God is always doing a new thing. God is always about a new creation. God meets us always in the darkest tombs and in those lowest places and promises that with the resurrected Jesus within us, there is nowhere else to go but up. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Indeed.